Uh, we are in a journey where we're going through the book of Corinthians. We started a few weeks ago where we started in Acts chapter 18, and we unpacked the beginning of this church, this church plant in this important community where Paul goes in and he preaches the gospel. Uh, it moves out of the synagogue to this uh, uh, home and uh, becomes a church plant uh, there. It's been six years, lots of ups and downs, mostly uh, downs and, and some really difficult conversations that are needed and required between Paul and the church. The church is pushing back on Paul and some of the things he's teaching. They don't like uh, some of the, the directions he's taken. Uh, beyond that, some super apostles have stepped in and they're usurping Paul's leadership. Uh, they're calling into question whether or not he is uh, uh, an authority, whether he can speak uh, uh, to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth is using metrics that aren't uh, godly to determine who they should listen to. And so they, they, they are likewise pushing Paul out. And, and Paul is ending out on, the, out on the outside looking in. And he's trying to, uh, through this letter at 2 Corinthians, he's trying to establish himself. He's trying to help the church understand and realize that he is an apostle of God uh, through the calling of Jesus Christ. He's trying to help them understand that when he speaks, he's a voice of authority. And uh, so throughout this whole letter, you're going to constantly hear Paul establishing his apostleship. He's trying to help them understand uh, that, yes, he can speak. In the midst of that, he's also bringing correction, uh, right thinking, right practices. And uh, uh, today, as we dive into this text, uh, you're going to see that he does the same thing. This text is it's, uh, it's packed solid with all kinds of... Uh, theological realities. Um, I, I didn't realize how much was packed into this little uh, chapter here uh, when I kind of assigned it uh, for today. And yet, as I dove into it, I was like, good night. There is a lot here uh, to read, to think about, to understand. And time will not give us uh, near enough uh, time to, to really do to justice to all of this chapter. We're going to have to just kind of uh, you know, skim over some of it uh, due to time today. Uh, and we'll dive in uh, into a few things uh, more, uh, more so, some, some of these texts. And so uh, let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, it's great to write notes and underline things and uh, gives you an opportunity to reflect on uh, later. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Here now from God's Word, as recorded in the book of Corinthians. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, of, uh, letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stones came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will uh, what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains up unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding uh, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We need you here this morning to come and to speak to us. Lord, we need to know that you are sufficient. We need to place our confidence in you. And so, by the spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Set us free, we ask. Redeem this time for your honor, for your glory. We pray this in the precious name of Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Um, Paul begins this letter. Remember, last week he was talking about the aroma of Christ, how we are the aroma of Christ. And he was explaining to us that uh, as we kind of move around, as we we are in this procession of Christ where Jesus is the general, this parade, we are the aroma of Christ and we bring life to those who are living and, and we bring death to those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. How do we do that? Uh, Paul transitions from that, and he, he's going to unpack this, but before he does that, there's this, again, this underlying theme that what he is saying has no merit. Uh, these super apostles have come in, and they've discredited him. In some ways, they probably came in, although we can't fully confirm this, they probably came in with letters of recommendation. What is that? Well, essentially, in the ancient world, uh, there were uh, preachers that would go from community to community to community. And when they would go from community to community to community, they would bring letters of recommendation. Letters that said that they had authority to teach and to preach within the context of the church. These super apostles have come in. They probably have some sort of letter of recommendation, which gives them permission to speak. In addition, that also gave them permission to to seek shelter. Uh, It also gave them permission to receive honorariums of sorts for their proclamation. And Paul's going to talk about that a little bit later when he discusses finances. And and we're going to get into that a little bit later. All these things are happening and Paul has been pushed out. Paul, they say, doesn't have authority to speak. And so now Paul's going to dive into this important concept here. And again, he wants to remind them that yes, he does. 
He says, listen, do I uh, need to bring uh, a letter of recommendation to you? Do, do, do I have to bring a, a word of authority that says, yes, that I can speak here? See, Paul wasn't opposed to that. Paul wrote letters of recommendation to other, uh, uh, for other believers. In Romans 16, he talks uh, about Phoebe, and he, he makes a recommendation to receive uh, her, the church in Rome. In, in 2 John, we see a, essentially a letter of recommendation that, that we can receive uh, uh, the teaching and, and the leadership of the church. Paul's not opposed to it, but he is in this context because he's the one who's planted the church. He established the church in Corinth, and now that he's gone in and he's done some difficult teaching, now that he's he stepped back and he didn't go down when they wanted him to, they wanted him to return, and he said, no, I, I best not go back because it's too painful, and so he writes another letter. They're not trusting Paul, and so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, you should trust me. If I got a letter of recommendation, would you then trust me, is what he's saying here. He's beginning by starting off with this concept of this letter of recommendation. In the modern world, we, we, we do the same kind of thing. In Christian Missionary Alliance, we have what's called the license to preach, or a preaching license. That's how it works. And and it can be a bit daunting uh, for uh, uh, those who are, are stepping into ministry because what happens is you stand before a, a council, four, five, six pastors typically, and denominational leaders, you have to defend your theological position on things. And you have to answer questions. And, and they test you to make sure that you align with uh, biblical doctrine. That's what happens. And... And so we use the same kind of thing. But here, Paul has established his church in Corinth. They're rejecting him. And he's saying, listen, I don't need a letter of recommendation. That's what he's saying. In other words, what he goes on to say is this, that you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Huh. He's saying, you're the evidence that Christ is in me, working through me, and affecting the, the, the kingdom. You're the proof that my ministry is legitimate. You're the proof. You're my recommendation. See, he refuses to, to, to fall into the pressures that the ch church of Corinth and its leadership, the apostles, these super apostles, uh, are placing on him. He refuses. He says, no, 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 no. You yourselves, you're the letter of recommendation. And is written on hearts to be known and read by all. I love that. Paul, Paul's saying this. He says, listen. He says, the way you live your life, this is the evidence that Christ, the gospel, is at work in and through you. And look, everyone's watching. Sometimes we think that we go witnessing. Sometimes we think that we, we, we do the act of declaring the gospel to a lost and dying world. What Paul is saying here is more than that. Our lives is the story of Jesus written on our hearts that everyone can read. Friends, it's been said that the option to witness is no longer ours the moment we receive Christ. 
The moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior, the moment that we say yes to Jesus, yes, I need forgiveness of sin, yes, I need redemption, yes, I can't save myself, the moment we receive Christ and become daughters or sons of God, listen friends, that moment, the option to be a witness is gone. It ceases to exist. You are a witness. But... The option to be a good witness or a bad witness exists every day, every moment. The world is watching. The world is watching to see how you handle whatever it is that is thrown your way. The world is watching to see how you you conduct your behavior. The world is watching how you conduct your business. The world is watching how you take care of your kids. The world is watching to see the impact that Christ and the gospel has had on your life. You will either be a good witness or a bad witness. Paul says, listen, the world is watching. You are a letter of recommendation. The gospel of Jesus Christ has has come in and it's beginning to do this transformational work on your hearts. Everyone is reading the letter that Jesus is writing. You notice, notice that it's Jesus writing the letter. In verse three, he goes on to say this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Notice that we are a letter of recommendation. We are a letter for everyone to read, and it's not our letter that's being written, it's Jesus' letter. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus may be writing a different letter than the one you want to write. See, if you're in charge, if you're writing the letter, if you're writing the story, you may want to avoid this very difficult reality that lies ahead. You may, you may want to shift the emphasis, the focus, the letter, and avoid that. Yet Jesus in his wisdom, Jesus in his sovereignty, in his goodness, is writing a letter on you. On your heart, I'm sorry. He's writing a letter through you to the world. And it involves all kinds of uncomfortable, difficult circumstances. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Is is his letter okay with you? See, if your response to your reality is bitterness, anger, resentment to Jesus Christ the Lord... He's no longer sitting on the throne. Friends, you are. I am. See, Jesus Christ in his sovereignty, Jesus Christ the Lord in his wisdom, Jesus Christ the Lord is writing a letter on your heart for all the world to see It's a letter not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's trying to drive home this point for two reasons. One, in the ancient world, when something was important, what they would do is they would would etch it out onto a stone and put it into the wall. 
Every great leader would do that. Every great leader would, would write their name on a stone. They etch it into a stone, put it into the wall. And then archaeologists now, they, they unearth these things and we can see timelines and characters important in history. Paul's building a contrast between the, the uh, human heart and the stone tablets. But not just that. As we see as he unpacks the rest of this, he, he's also talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was written on tablets. And Moses brought them down from Mount Sinai. And, and what Paul is doing is he's helping us understand that there's more to it. And, and we need to dive deep into what Jesus Christ the Lord is doing. He's writing a letter on our hearts. And, and not only is it a contrast to the old covenant, covenant it's a fulfillment of a promise that, that God makes through the prophet Jeremiah. Notice in Jeremiah 31 verse 31, the prophet Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I myself, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now, let's just stop for a second. What's this covenant business? What does this mean? If you take marriage uh, class with me, um, we always talk about covenant versus contract. Let's talk about covenant versus contract. Notice that Jesus calls himself a husband here. I mean, God calls himself a husband here. There's this imagery here of covenant. Covenant is not a contract. You see, a contract is something that you write out. You make an agreement. You try to cover every angle. Then you sign off on it with witnesses. The problem with a contract is, is if you want to get out of it, you just go and find some kind of clause in the contract that accommodates your future vision and expectation. Covenant doesn't work that way. Covenant is a binding agreement between God and man with people as the witness. Let me say that again. A covenant is a binding agreement between God and people uh, and man where people are the witnesses. What happens at a wedding? It's a binding agreement. Do you take him? Yes. Do you take her? Yes. It's a binding agreement before who? In the sight of God and these witnesses. Why are the witnesses there? They're there to hold account or to hold the individuals who stepped into the covenant accountable to their commitment one to each other. That's what's supposed to happen. See, those who attend the wedding are supposed to go up if things are going a little sideways. They're supposed to go, hey, I was a witness between the covenant, between you and your spouse and God. You, you need to readjust. God makes covenant with the people of Israel. Here's the problem. They're not obeying the covenant. They're, they're not walking with God. And so God says, listen, I've made a covenant, a binding agreement with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I uh, took them by the hand over the land of Egypt. Because they broke that covenant. They didn't measure up. They said they would do it. They vowed that they would do it. They vowed uh, to me, God, and before witnesses that they would do it. But the Lord says they broke it. For this covenant that I will make with you, he goes on to say, 
will be a covenant that is between the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah is alluding to a future event, a future day when there will be a new covenant versus the old covenant. Why? Because they couldn't do the old covenant. And the new covenant is that he will put their law, the law, on their hearts, not tablets of stone. See, Paul is alluding to this, this passage of Scripture, this future hope. He's explaining to them that, listen, Christ is coming. He's writing a letter. He's writing a letter that, that, that is to be delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets, but on the human heart. Jesus Christ is going to come in, and he's going to write a covenant on the heart of those who've trusted in him. And this gives us hope. Friends, how does this work? In the old covenant, there was the law that we were to obey. Hmm. Thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's a law. Thou shalt not lie. It's a law. Thou shalt not hate. Or murder, I'm sorry. It's a law. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, he raises the bar. See, in the Old Testament, in the covenant was out, outward actions. Jesus goes to the heart and he says, listen, it's not so much about what you do as what you think. If you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're adulterous. Hmm. If you hate someone, now you're a murderer. It's in your heart. Oh, the standard's so high. We can't measure up. And that's what, that's what, that's what Jeremiah says, is that we've broken the vow. We, we, we can't measure up. We say we will. We say we'll try. We'll, we'll say we got it covered. But the reality is, we've all broken the law. Every one of us, all Ten Commandments, let's just list them off. We have broken the law. We're guilty. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, Jesus Christ, he's going, to deliver, he's going to deliver a written message, not on tablets of stone, but of the Spirit on human hearts. Friends, I, I said this once before, but it bears repeating because it's so applicable here. See, the law becomes a promise for those who trust in Christ. Listen, listen to the change in emphasis. Same words. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's, it's a promise. You hear it? If you receive Christ, he promises to change and transform you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
There is a day coming where you will be transformed into the likeness of Christ that you will never look at a woman and lust. Amen? It's a promise. Thou, thou shalt not murder. You will never hate. You will never despise. You will walk in the freedom of Christ. Why? Because there's hope. Because of the new covenant. You will always honor your parents. You shall not covet. You shall not lie. You'll never take the Lord's name in vain. No, it will not happen. Jesus Christ the Lord is writing on your heart and my heart. Now, now we talk about this. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to say this. That, that can't happen. There's just no way. Have you no idea how profoundly wicked I am, Pastor Scott? Yes. Because I know how broken I am. Here's the good news. The good news is it's not about confidence in me, friends. No, Paul goes on to say this. Such is the confidence that we have where? Through Christ towards God. Listen, friends, it's not about us performing. It's not about us striving. It's about receiving the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ the Lord. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. It's not about us pulling up our moral bootstraps and trying harder. It's not about us uh, uh, accomplishing the goal. We can't do it. We cannot achieve the old covenant. We cannot raise up and uh, accomplish the law. It is impossible. And so what Paul does is he, he sort of points to Christ. He says, listen, I know that this is impossible in essence is what he's saying. And that's why our confidence needs to be in Jesus Christ the Lord. It's through him that God is uh, moving toward. It's not that we are sufficient. Christ is sufficient. We're not sufficient, Paul says. We can't claim anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. Friends, in the midst of suffering, we can find comfort from God because He's sufficient. Friends, in the midst of hurts and pains and, and, and dealing with unforgiveness, He gives us the capacity to forgive. Friends, in the midst of, of, of being called by God to open doors, as in Troas, listen, it's God who's sufficient to help us to do the things that we can't do ourselves. Friends, it is God who allows us to be the aroma of Christ uh, for those that are living and, and, and the aroma of death to those who are perishing. It is Jesus Christ the Lord who is able to do a work in us because he is sufficient. It's him. It's him at work in us. He takes our, our hearts, our broken hearts, and he starts to write his story on us. And he's not done. He is sufficient. He is more than enough. We must trust and look to him. For he is the one who is made sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Listen, we can't do the new covenant. We, we can't accomplish the goal of the kingdom of ourselves. No, it is Christ who's working in us to change and transform us to do the work of the new covenant in and through us. It's not a letter. Uh, it's not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Friends, that word life is Zoe in the Greek. It's not quantitative, but qualitative. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, I have come that I'd give life more abundantly. 
Friends, we can have a fullness of life through the power of the Spirit. We can be set free through the power of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit leads to Jesus Christ. It's not quantitative. Jesus lived 33 years. That's all he lived. But listen, friends, make no mistake, he lived the full life. It was full. It was lacking in nothing. It was full in every way. The Spirit leads us to Christ who gives life, quality of life. And we can enjoy the fullness of Christ in us. The Spirit leads to Christ. Christ came to give life more abundantly. He gives us life. He writes on our hearts the, 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 the letter to all people everywhere. He is sufficient. And so we need to look to him. We need to allow the Spirit to work in our lives. We need to allow the Spirit of God to write the story uh, of our life through us so that all would see. He then contrasts this with the old covenant. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stove came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was brought about to an end. He's quoting here Exodus chapter 34 where Moses would go and meet with God and, and his communion with God would, would be so profound that as Moses would leave, his face would shine with the glory of God that Israel didn't look on, on Moses' face. This is the old covenant. No, there was a veil put over his face so that, so that the people could, could look on the face of Moses who, who had been in, in such close relationship with God. And now what uh, Paul is saying is, listen, that's under the old covenant. And if that's how it was under the old covenant, listen, under the new covenant, it's, it's got to be that much better. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. It's better now. We're under a new covenant because Jesus Christ has paid him full for all our sins. He is risen. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He, he has given us imputed righteousness. We receive his righteousness and therefore it changes and transforms our relationship with him. It is of a greater glory. Indeed, in this case, one uh, one. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of all the glory that surpasses it. It's speaking here not of, uh, of uh, one being eliminated and one being established or, or better, but what it is, is it's a surpassing glory. It's a greater glory that we can receive through Christ. And because of that, because of that, we have hope. Hope that Jesus Christ is alive in the midst of our circumstances. Hope that there's a new day around the corner. Hope that we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Hope that we can approach boldly into the throne room of God. Hope that we can approach boldly into the throne room of God. Friends, we can. See, in the Old Testament, they, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. They, they couldn't enter in. They, 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 there's so much protocol, so many rituals, so many rules. And, and you'd have to scamper out. Not today. No, we have a surpassing glory. For we can go boldly into the throne. Not like Moses. Moses who would have put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. No, we, we can go boldly 
Boldly, not on our righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. Not on our merit, but on his merit. We can go boldly, confident in him that he is sufficient, irregardless of our mistakes, irregardless of our failures, irregardless of the things that we've done. We can go boldly because Jesus Christ is sufficient. Paul then goes on to explain that their minds have been hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away friends there's no other way there's no self-righteousness no other God that we can uh, enter in it's just through Jesus Christ the Lord he's the only one and so their hearts and minds have been hardened hardened because they refuse to receive Christ they refuse to accept his sacrifice no, instead, instead they, they approach it uh, their way. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, all, uh, read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's no other way except through Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's why he has come. He has come that the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Lord uh, of the Spirit is, there is freedom. Amen? There's freedom for you and for me. There's freedom for us as we've received Christ. We, we no longer have a veiled face. Behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the uh, same image. I think the word is meta, metamorphosis there. Transformed moment by moment into the glory of God. Not by our uh, effort, not by what we do, but by grace and mercy through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ who works in and through us. Friends, there's so much more to say about this passage, but time doesn't uh, permit it. Please stand with me. What does this mean for you and for me? Friends, you're a letter. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is writing a letter on your heart for all the world to see. Are you struggling with your circumstances? Are you struggling with hurts and pains in your life? Friends, are you struggling with your reality? Are you struggling with seeing Christ in your circumstances? Friends, Christ is writing a letter. It's a letter of redemption. It's a letter of reconciliation. It's a letter of His glory and power. It's a letter that He is writing for the whole world to see. The world is watching, friends. They're watching. Look to him. Trust him. Friends, he loves you with a love that knows no end. He loves you and died on the cross for you. He received brutal blows on his face. His beard was pulled out because he loves you. Friends, trust him in the midst of your circumstances. What letter is Jesus Christ the Lord writing through your life? I know it's not easy. It wasn't for the church of Corinth. They were struggling. They didn't like their circumstances. And Paul was trying to help them understand that the world is watching and Jesus is writing the letter. Secondly, is your confidence in Christ? Is he sufficient for you? Friends, maybe you've never received Christ. Maybe you've sinned. 
in such a profound way that you cannot forgive yourself. Admit your sin and receive the grace and mercy he extends to you. And place your confidence not in yourself, but in him. He loves you. He paid the price in full for all your sin and shame. The judgment of God was satisfied on the cross of Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin for you and me. Place your trust and confidence in him here this morning. Friends, is the letter of the law weighing you down? You see, with the spirit there is freedom. There is freedom. Walk in the freedom he offers to you this day. And so, Father, you know our hearts. You're writing on them a story. And it's a story that we sometimes don't understand because we have a a short view of what's happening. Yet you are eternal. You are trustworthy. You are the Redeemer. You are sufficient. And our confidence is in you. Help us, Father, to to live with open hands. Help us, Father, to lay at the foot of the cross all our wounds, all our hurts, all the chaos, all our striving. And look to you. For you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And Father, for some who are gathered here today, they've never called on your name. Their confidence is in themselves. And at best, it's shaky. And they admit that. And Lord, I pray that even in these moments, they would sense you calling. That they would sense your willingness to forgive because of the cross of Calvary. And ultimately, Lord, we pray in our gatherings and our fellowship that there would be freedom because the Spirit is here. In Jesus' name.